the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is pre recorded. This is the Paul George Real Estate Show with your host, Paul George. Sponsored by the Paul George Real Estate Group. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and not necessarily those of Salem Media Group, staff, management, or advertisers. And now, here's your host, Paul George. Welcome to the Paul George Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Paul George, a 30-year-plus real estate agent who helps represent people who buy and sell and build homes in the central Ohio area. Today, we are going to talk about title insurance. We're going to talk about property, different types of uh, title. We're going to talk about different types of title insurance and all kinds of fun things like that. But before we get started, I would try to start off with what's going on in the real estate market. Um, it's interesting. Just did that with my lips. Remember that, Gina? <laughs> so just a little inside joke there. Sorry about that. So what's going on in the real estate market? We are starting into the fall here, and the market is shifting a little bit. Uh, in the last few years, we have not had a seasonal real estate market. It's been so up and down, actually mostly up, that we haven't had our normal, so to speak, slowdown that we usually have this time of year. I'm starting to see a little bit. Um, compared to previous years before the last three years, I guess to say, I think I'm getting the feeling that we're going to be in that same sort of market where it's not dead. It's not... Uh, it's just slower than what it's been. And even though it's slowed down a little bit, it's going to slow down even more, I think, until uh, we have either a break in the interest rates or people start getting comfortable with uh, needing new housing and things like that. So um, the higher interest rates have slowed things down, definitely. Um, there's also, as a something that, Real interest rates have to do with there's a thing that I call and people are calling the golden handcuffs. Uh, the golden handcuffs used to mean in if you were buying a um, if you're buying or excuse me, if you were in a job and the agent or the employer said something to the fact, the effect that um, they wanted to keep you. They couldn't afford for you to leave. So they would incentivize you to come in and um, give you options to, for stocks. They'd give you extra bonuses, things to keep you to stay here. In real estate right now, the golden handcuffs are basically you have a, a three, four, five percent interest rate. And if you wanted to sell your home and buy another one, you're going to be trading that in for a seven percent interest rate. Something like that. So you're kind of handcuffed into your current home. Um, so that on top of the natural flow of things, the market and things like that, uh, kind of slows the real estate down a little bit. Um, a lot of that difference between the interest rates and just the market itself, um, it's calling a little, it's causing a little bit of consternation among the buyers and sellers. And that's causing a lot of buyers remorse. And I'm also starting to see a little bit of seller's remorse. Um, you know, in this market, a couple of years ago, buyers were almost feeling lucky that they were able to get a house. If they were competing with two, three, four, five people, um, they almost felt, hey, well, great, I got this house. Um, they didn't think much about it. Uh, they were just happy to get it. They didn't always get exactly what they wanted. Um, they were almost felt privileged to actually, you know, pay $50,000 more than what they were asking on the house. They were happy with it. The way they kind of justified that is, you know, I got a three and a half percent interest rate, so I can do that. Um, right now that justification isn't there. So when they're finally getting to write an offer on a house right now and they get it accepted, you know, they're not feeling that joy of, Hey, I got the house. They're kind of thinking about, um, you know, did I do the right thing kind of thing? 
So that's what I'm kind of dealing with right now. Um, <clears throat> when buyers do write an, an offer uh, and they finally get it accepted after some negotiations, it's usually there's the contracts filled with a ton of contingencies. The two main ones are financing and inspection. Financing, they understand it going in. They know that they're paying that seven to seven and a half percent interest rate, uh, but they're still not happy about it. Um, one of the first flags, first red flags that I see when somebody goes into contract, you know, the first thing they have to do is get their lender all their updated information. And I'm usually, I'm usually in constant contact with their lender. And their lender is telling me, hey, they're a little bit slow getting me their pay stubs. Or they're a little bit slow getting me their bank statements. That's kind of a red flag to me, like, okay, they really want to do this. Um, the next thing is probably the biggest reason that people tend to walk. Um, they do go ahead and pay for a home inspection. When they do the home inspection, as much as I try to prepare them for, hey, it's a, it's not a brand new house, there's going to be some things there, and that's been priced into the price that we have done it. Um, every inspector is a little bit different on how they present something, whether it's important, whether it's not important, whether it's broken, whether it's going to be broken in five years. Nobody can predict that. But on previous shows, we talked about the what-ifs on a home inspection. And these come up to rear their ugly heads when we do the home inspection, and they're a little bit hesitant about buying to begin with. They say, yeah, the roof's only got five years left on it and the buyers go, well, I don't know if that's in my budget, that kind of thing. As much as I talk to them before that, sometimes they use that as an excuse to get out of a contract. The home inspection contingency usually is a new negotiation, but um, the buyers do have the right to actually walk away for anything they find on the home inspection. That's written into the contract. That's there saying that, hey, you've got seven days to do the home inspection. We got three days to negotiate some sort of settlement, whether it's going to be the seller fix certain things or whether they give them a credit for it. Um, and sometimes buyers don't even give them the option. When they don't give them any option whatsoever, there was something else going on. The other thing I'm seeing that is kind of new is a little bit of seller's remorse. They have put their house on the market. Um, maybe they've been talked to putting their house in on the market. I see this with a lot of older people. Older people have been living in their house 20, 30 years, and their kids saying, hey, you need to get out. You can't handle the house anymore. Or sometimes it's themselves that, you know what, uh, I've got a client right now who's got an ailing back, and, you know, they just went through the summer season of doing the mulching, doing the things like that. Now they have leaves to pick up, and they're thinking, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I love my house. I love this. I'm going to put my house on the market. Well, the house goes on the market. We get buyers that really want to buy it. Um, and the sellers, then there's something going on. When I say something going on by the way they negotiate, I can tell, meaning that, hey, we got list price, and they think, hey, can we do better than that? And I'm going like, what more do you want? This is the price that we came up to. Um, sometimes it's the the interest rate. You know, we talked about the golden handcuffs before. They're thinking like, you know, I, I can't afford to go to this uh, empty nester home that I'm going to because I still got a little bit of a mortgage and now I've got my, I got to pay 7% and I'm not used to doing that. So when we get to that point, um, there's usually something else going on that the seller doesn't tell me. Um, the last one that came up, the buyer came back with a request to remedy, which is after the houses went into contract, they did a home inspection. The buyer came back with something kind of small. It wasn't any big deal. And the seller just said, no, I'm not going to do it. And I'm going, you're kidding. Here, I'll pay for the darn things. I want to get this done. Um, they had something else going on that they finally broke down and told me, this is, you know, my daughter forced me to move out of this house. I'm just not ready. I don't want to do this yet. And I said, you know, we could have come to this conclusion before, but it's something I'm seeing a little bit that's a little bit tough right now. Um, there is a situation where when the sellers do that, um, I can see this through statistics. And when I see this through statistics, I, there's been an, in, there's been an uptick, I guess, of homes coming back on the market. And this is a sign of all this buyer's remorse and seller's remorse that I'm seeing. Um, in August of 2023, there were about 29, what do I have here? Yeah, about 2,900 sales 
through our multiple listing service within our MLS. Um, <clears throat> that's a good chunk. And the thing that is a little bit alarming to me is almost 300 of them came back on the market or they were cancellations. And that is usually some sort of buyer's remorse. Sometimes it's legitimate. Sometimes that, you know, the buyers and sellers just agree to disagree, saying that I think you need a new roof. And the seller says, no, the roof is fine. It doesn't leak, even though it's 30 years old. Um, I just want to make sure that people understand that it's not uncommon right now. You know, you get sellers who are thinking like the market was a couple of years ago, saying, I don't have to do anything to my house. Um, I can come in and, you know, put my house on the market and a buyer's going to buy it, buy it as is. The buyer says, okay, I'm still lucky to get a house. The seller's requesting that I get it as is, but more often than not, they still have that contingency of getting out of the contract once they do the inspection. Even though they said it's as is, I get to the point of <clears throat> the buyer threatens to walk away. The seller said, hey, I'm thinking you are going to be selling it as is. That means as is, you're still going to buy it. Well, the buyer says that, well, I'm going to walk away then if you don't give me the credit or you don't fix this and this. So where do we do? Uh, what do we do? The seller doesn't want to go back and start all over again and put the house back on the market. So anyway, we negotiate this. We get this done. But the overall theme that I'm trying to get through is that nothing is for sure until we get to the closing and the monies have transferred. Even with the buyer's and seller's remorse, that's what I want to get out is what's going on in the market right now. It's not the clean and easy deals that we've had in the past uh, couple of years. In the last few months, that's where things have changed. And because the external factors like the interest rates, um, like the uh, sellers, the longtime sellers, not ready to move yet, uh, that's something that I have to do a better job of. The buyer's agents have to do a better job of is assessing what the true motivation of every client is. Um, when we come back, um, I'm going to talk with a couple of attorneys who their main focus is title insurance. But when we come back, we're also going to talk about some of the obligations of a buyer and a seller when it comes to actually signing your name to a contract. You know, there's a lot of situations right now where uh, buyers and sellers, neither one of them seems to think that something they sign their name to this 14 page contract means anything. I'm going to talk to them a little bit about, first of all, title insurance. Then I'm going to talk about some of the consequences of basically not going through with the contract. So when we get back, we're going to talk to Joe and Aaron Baroni of Talent Title, and we'll see you on the flip side. Navigating the complexities of the current real estate market can be a daunting task. Fortunately, you have a trusted ally, the Paul George Group of Keller Williams Greater Columbus Realty. From the moment you start your journey, the Paul George Group with over 30 years of experience will be right beside you, guiding you through every step of the process, whether it's finding the perfect home or building, skillfully negotiating on your behalf, working with lenders, managing inspections, or handling title matters, their expertise ensures your best interests are always at heart. Don't hesitate to take the first step towards your real estate goals. Reach out to the Paul George Group for a no-obligation consultation. Call 614-570-2853. That's 614-570-2853. Or email paul at pauljorgerealestate.com. When it comes to making informed decisions in the real estate world, trust the Paul George Group to lead the way. Visit the Paul George Real Estate Group at PaulGeorgeRealEstate.com. That's PaulGeorgeRealEstate.com. Now back to your host, Paul George. Welcome back to the Paul George Real Estate Show. Uh, again, I'm your host, Paul George. And, hey, don't forget to follow us on Twitter or X or whatever it's called right now. Um, just go at Paul George Real Estate Show. And give us a follow. That'd be great. You can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook at Paul George Group. And like I said, give us a follow. That uh, expands our audience a little bit. And uh, we'll talk about the uh, how this turns into a podcast right after the show as well, too. But I'll tell you how to get to that. I want to introduce my guest, um, Joe Baroni 
and his son Aaron Baroni are with Talon Title, and they have been in, Joe has been in the business forever. He's also kind of an icon in the business as well as, uh, uh, we call him the godfather of Westerville as well as Title Insurance. Um, when you hear him talk, you'll think that he really is the godfather. Um, these guys are kind of in the hot seat of real estate. They are a little bit of um, when there's a problem sometimes, these are the guys that you talk to. But before I get into that, I want Joe, want you introduce yourself and kind of tell me what you do real quick, and I'll let Aaron do the same. Hi, I'm Joe Baroni, and um, I have been a licensed attorney since 1975. So I've been in its uh, my practice has been focused on real estate from the very beginning. So I've been doing this for almost 48 years, uh, both uh, real estate, the law, and then uh, gradually got involved in the title business. So uh, we deal with all aspects of, of real estate from uh, contract negotiations and then closing the contracts and the various issues that come up, as Paul alluded to, regarding getting the contract closed once it's signed by everybody. And Aaron? Yeah, um, I've been in the real estate industry uh, since I was pretty much born. <laughs> As you'll say, you've been born into it. <laughs> but officially since law school for 15 years now. So um, I manage our Upper Arlington branch. Um, and like he mentioned, you know, on a daily basis, we're working behind the scenes on real estate contracts, making sure we can get those to closing um, and taking care of any issues prior to that closing date. You guys, your main focus is on title insurance, and title insurance is, it sounds like it's one thing, but when I sell a house, uh, let's say I have the seller, all I do is give you guys the contract, and you guys, the buyer, you contact the seller, the buyer, the lender. What do you guys do after that? Tell me what you do uh, for the title insurance portion of it. So, Aaron, why don't you get started with that? So I kind of think of us as the middleman. Um, so like you said, we work with all um, ends of the transaction, sellers, buyers, lenders, realtors. So once we get that contract, we're starting the title search to see if there's any liens, any mortgages. Which is called for in the contract. Basically, you're following the confines of the contract, doing what it says. Correct. Because we have to make sure when the seller transfers that property that the buyer's not inheriting any liens or mortgages. From there, and so we're really communicating with all the parties. So we have to be very organized and communicate with all the parties to make sure um, we get from that contract that you send us to closing and take care of any issues between those two. And Joe, let's say that I I give you that you have contact, or somebody within your company has contact with my seller. What are the questions? What are the things that a seller needs to get this to a closing? And usually when we contact a seller, um, we initially start out with a title search. And when people think about title insurance and closings, they, they uh, seem to worry about uh, liens and mortgages. As you mentioned, that's what's common and that's what everybody is familiar with. But we deal with a lot of things that uh, many people are not even familiar with, uh, easements, garages, built-in easements common driveway accesses that uh, uh, are a matter of record that buyers and sellers may not even know exist. Um, so part of our job is we do that title search, the preliminary search to make sure that there's nothing uh, out of the ordinary that we're going to have to deal with. If there is, uh, we're going to talk to the seller and uh, start the process to rectify the problem before we get to the closing table. And so, that's part of our job is to uh, fix problems, not just issue a title policy saying we'll fix something after it closes, but to try to fix the problem before you even get to the closing table. We let the sellers know what the process is uh, for closing. Uh, we let the buyers know uh, what's expected of them, and we talk to them about what they have to bring to closing, what they have to be ready for, um, and uh, and then during the process, we're preparing a closing statement that we send to the realtors to review and discuss with their clients so they can see from both ends how we got to their bottom lines. When I get to a closing, I get the summary of where monies go and how things go. And I always see two policies on there. I see an owner's policy and a lender's policy. 
if there's a loan on the property, I assume there's two. Why does a lender need to be covered? Who? Why does an owner need to be covered? And who pays for that? So <laughs> per our contract in our market, um, I say that because it's different across the state. In central Ohio, most contracts require the seller to provide the owner's policy. So that's the policy that protects the buyer. So essentially the seller is paying for the buyer's title insurance. So that's the policy that protects the buyer's title, protects them from any claims from anyone um, on that title and makes sure that if there are any liens that weren't dealt with, that they've got a policy in place and a title policy that would protect them. Uh, the lender's policy protects the lender's interest, which is the priority of their loan, meaning um, they're the number one lien on the property, meaning if something goes wrong, they're getting paid first. So that insurance policy protects the lender. And then the owner's policy, as it sounds, protects the owner of the property, which in this discussion is your buyer. If you said you do the preliminary title search and, you know, it seems like every time I have a Clintonville property that somebody has a driveway that encroaches on somebody else's property. Why does the lender care? Why does the owner care? Tell me what makes a difference in that and how do you remedy something like that? Well, the, the lender cares because if there's an encroachment, the, the first thing the lender wants to know is is their access because they, they're dealing with an asset uh, with value and the value is the basis for their loan approval. The house has to obviously have enough value to cover the mortgage if there's a problem down the road. So if there's a problem with access to the driveway, uh, and what we're looking at is we've seen shared driveway agreements where uh, people have agreed many years ago uh, to uh, have a common driveway because their driveways were close to each other. So they have a driveway agreement. Things change over time, and we'll see a shared driveway agreement uh, that doesn't have any uh, agree any provisions in it as to maintenance, who pays for maintenance, who makes the decision on maintenance. And lenders want that. Many times the lenders will not uh, approve a loan until there is a shared maintenance agreement in place if there's a common driveway. Sometimes you mentioned the encroachment. People have a driveway, and uh, when we're doing the title search and then as part of the closing process, there's always a, uh, when there's a loan involved, some type of survey. The survey will show that part of the driveway is on the neighbor's property. Well, the lender wants to make sure that if the, if there's a 10-foot driveway, if eight, eight feet of it is on the neighbor's property, they've just been asked to insure or lend money to somebody who doesn't have access to their property because they got a two-foot driveway. So part of the problem then is to get a hold of the neighbor, uh, get a hold of the seller, and try to figure out how we're going to resolve uh, that, that uh, easement or encroachment with the driveway. Since this is an insurance policy, um, is there any regulations from the state, or is there how are how are the numbers set for those those policies? Is it market forces? Is it so Ohio the the policies are state regulated, so the premium, regardless of what title company you close at, the title insurance premium is going to be the same. That's what I was getting at, and that's. No matter, it's based on the amount or it's Correct. based on, okay. So it's a calculation based off the sales price. Okay. Um, so, you know, every title company will have their miscellaneous fees that might differ, but that policy is going to be the same all over the state. And that's kind of what I was getting at is that, you know, people say, you know, I'm going to take it to my dad's title insurance company or I'm going to take it to this, but the title insurance policy is exactly the same here as it is at another one. Like you said, the miscellaneous fees are the ones where, there might be a difference in there. Getting back to, let me ask you this. I'm going to, I'm going to get specifics on some other segments, but I want to ask you about this one. There was a house that the actual house was over the build line. And what happens in those situations? It's not like you're going to tear the house down. What happens? Well, a lot of it depends on how long it's been there and whether the title company based on the, the set of facts that apply to this particular site are willing to ensure through the problem. So if we as a title company look at a setback violation, all subdivisions say the house had to be built behind a certain line, 30 feet, let's say. So if the house is 
built 28 feet from the road and is in front of that setback line. We as a title company have to determine realistically what we ensure through that encroachment. But we determine that if anybody ever makes a claim or tries to create a problem for that homeowner because their house is in front of the setback, are we willing to step in and uh, take care of that problem one way or the other? So title company, the first first thing any seller wants to find out or buyer is, is the title company going to insure through that problem? Is it a problem that they're going to guarantee me uh, that after the closing, if it becomes an issue and somebody challenges uh, it challenges me regarding that setback, do I have coverage from the title company? If we as a title company refuse to cover it, uh, then there's other ways to get it resolved. You can apply to the municipality where the property is located for a variance to allow for the house to stay where it's at. And you, you have to realize if, if this is a 30-year-old house and it's been sitting there uh, two feet over the setback, who really is capable of making a problem. That's one of the things the title company is going to look at. But if there is a potential, if it's a newly built house and there's a potential for a problem, that's where you start looking into issues like variances or easements for an encroachment from a neighbor. All right. When we come back, I'm going to ask you a little bit more specific questions, but uh, we'll, we'll see you when we get back and ask you guys a little couple more questions. Submit your questions for the show to Paul at PaulGeorgeRealEstate.com. That's Paul at PaulGeorgeRealEstate.com. Now back to your host, Paul George. Welcome back to the Paul George Real Estate Show. Again, I mentioned before that after this show drops, uh, and every show, by the way, this turns into a podcast. And if you could, please subscribe to the Paul George Real Estate Show podcast. You can get it on uh, Apple iTunes. You can get it on Spotify. Um, you can go to, gosh, iHeartMedia. They have their own podcast thing. Uh, you can also go to 98.9 FM, The Answer, um, and go to their page, uh, 98.9.com, and look up my pretty face there, and you can download the uh, previous shows. And, you know, we've got some good content in there. I mean, we've had the Delaware County Auditor there. We talked about property tax prorations and how the reevaluations are coming. Uh, we talked to the head of the Building Industry Association of Columbus. Uh, there's a lot of good information there that's timeless. And uh, if you get a chance, uh, take a listen and download the podcast. And like I said, please subscribe if you get a chance. Um, we are back with Joe and Aaron Baroni, who uh, are real estate attorneys, and their main focus is uh, real estate law as well as doing the title insurance business. Before we get back, back a little more deeper into some of the subject matter, I want to ask Joe and Aaron a couple of questions a little bit about themselves. I want to get to know you guys on a little different level. Um, everybody that comes on this show, I ask them a couple of questions, and Joe... If there was one, one thing you could learn instantly, what talent, what, what would you like to learn if you could learn it instantly? You didn't have to do 48 years of real estate. I'd love to be a handyman and be able to fix anything. You know how many people are in real estate that are not handymen at all? I, you know, it's funny. I talked about uh, the uh, BIA, the head of the BIA, and that was his thing. He says, I don't know how to do anything. And he wife, says, yeah. Yeah, his your wife does. She teases me that I have to call an electrician to change light bulbs. Yeah, I believe it. How about you, Aaron? Yeah. Well, I can't sing or dance, so those, that'd be a combination I'd love to have. Well, that is the number one answer. <laughs> I wish I could do one of those two. So, Joe, I got to ask you something. You know, yeah. uh, I I mentioned before that you're kind of an icon of Westerville as well as within the real estate industry. I was going through your bio. The very last thing on there says in 1959, you were an accordion award winner. Yes. Uh, do you actually play the accordion? Yes. Still? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> do you own an accordion? I still own an accordion. Okay. So we go to a real estate function. And I ask you to do roll out the barrel. You can do that for us, right? Probably. Uh-huh. You even know the songs. Let's well, listen to that. Yeah. Let's see. That's something I never knew about you. And I saw yeah. that. I said, out of all the things, I don't want to talk about your rotary history. I don't want to talk about all these accomplishments you had. I want to talk about your accordion. Yeah. So, 
All right. Getting back to the subject matter, which is title insurance. You know, at the beginning of the show, I talked a little bit about uh, buyers and sellers getting out of contracts. And as a trend, I guess, to say, how often do you guys see contracts not coming to fruition out of, let's say, 100 contracts you guys do the title insurance for and you're getting preparing for a closing? How many would you say would fall apart? And I'm getting that blank stares on both of their eyes like, eh. what do you think, Aaron? Well, I think you touched on it earlier with inspections and issues like that. You know, I could say easily five out of 100, okay. we're getting calls and people only call us when things are going poorly. So yep. the phone call is, you know, this happened in inspection, you know, but it's as is and the buyer's trying to get out of the contract. What do we do? So we do see those fall apart time to time. And that's one of the things I, I kind of want to come back to this because at the beginning of the show, I talked a little bit about the trends and what's going on in real estate. I don't want you to think that this is the norm. It's not the norm. And you're going five out of a hundred. Um, I think what may be more normal, which may be more than five hundred is delays. And I'm sure you see more of that with the delays of things. And nine times out of 10, that seems to be a lender situation. A lender didn't get all the paperwork or they didn't get you guys the stuff. It's funny. I love calling you guys the day before closing and, hey, we don't have anything from the lender. And then you scramble to get everything done. Um, Judy does a great job at that, by the way. And, you know, we always get the blame for it when why can't we close at 10 when we schedule and we got to move it back to four. You know, we're the ones that get the uh, <laughs> the arrows, I guess, to say. But it's usually the lender didn't get you guys the stuff at, at, at the right time. Um so <laughs> I just wanted to get back to a little bit of some of the specifics on the title insurance um, situations where things that might come up. Um, probably the most interesting, The well, let me go back to this. Columbus is, when I talk to people from around the country, I'm on all these different uh, phone calls and things like this. They cannot believe that we do things called roundtable closings. Um, they seem to be we seem to be moving away from that, but Joe, explain to me what a roundtable closing is. The roundtable closing is, is really what I cut my teeth on uh, when I started in this business. And uh, it simply refers to the fact that uh, at the actual closing, everybody's there that's relevant to the transaction. The buyers and the sellers and their realtors uh, are at the same table uh, to sign all the documents necessary to close the transaction. Um, that became uh, less and less of the norm uh, because a lot of uh, listing agents that represented sellers uh, didn't see the uh, reason for having a seller who's part of the closing might be 10 to 15 minutes to sit through an hour-long closing, which is the norm because for a buyer with a lender uh, to complete their part of the transaction. So we started to see uh, what we call seller pre-signs where sellers would come in. Uh, and, and sign well before the closing, and then the buyer would come in uh, when the lender was uh, ready for the buyer to close. So that the, the roundtable closing is, is not as prevalent as it was, and then the pandemic killed it. That that probably enhanced the, the non-roundtable closings as well as um, we're starting to see closings done by computer now if lenders will allow it. Uh, I, we don't have the systems in place, and all lenders don't have the systems in place, but there's a possibility that you can set it a computer and close now. You, it, everything's got to be notarized and witnessed and things like that. So that's one of the interesting things that seems to be coming out of the pandemic as well. Um, one of the challenges we have is um, – we used to, I'm in a situation where I'm a little bit older, where I have a lot of sellers who are selling something and buying something right away. What is, I, I don't like to do them back to back anymore, but that's possible. And what are some of the challenges when people do are selling a house and needing the funds for that house to purchase another house the same day? What kind of challenges have you guys run into with that? Well, I think the biggest issue is money from, the sale closing has to get to their purchase. If you're doing it back to back, it's got to happen that day. Um, so, you know, if you're doing that at the end of the day, it's going to be hard to get a wire from the title company from your sale to the title company of your purchase. Now, we can accommodate that 
because the seller can choose to have their proceeds wired straight to that second title company instead of going to their bank account first. So it is possible, but it takes a lot of planning, a lot of scheduling to make sure that you have time to sign, get that wire sent to the second title company, and then go sign your purchase documents. As a real estate agent, one of my um, thing, one of my due diligence is to, if I'm on that situation, I usually will ask title people. I say, how good is this lender getting their funds here on time? How good is this lender? Uh, and I know it a lot of times, but I want some backing from you guys because you guys actually have the experience. We don't see when the money comes in from Chase. We don't see when the money comes in from PNC. We don't see how often that happens. If I can be comfortable in saying that, hey, how often is this lender get it here? And like I said, a lot of times it's the lender, but, you know, and I'll go ahead and say it. A lot of the bigger lenders don't care. They don't care about time frames, even though, because they don't know that you have another closing right after as much as you prepare them for that. But that's one of the things I really rely on you guys as to your experience, because we have one experience. You guys have hundreds of experiences when it comes to something like that. Um, back to a little bit of the title insurance itself. Um, one of the, and we'll get into a little, little bit more of this when I uh, talk about specific closings later. Unfortunately, there's a lot of situations where there's a divorce and a homeowner is forced to sell a house because they're going through a divorce and neither one can afford to purchase the home. What are some of the challenges that you guys, and I know we've got a couple minutes left and I know this can take an hour, but tell me briefly, what are some of the challenges in a divorce situation when selling? The two biggest issues, Paul, that we deal with in a divorce situation is uh, sharing of the funds because obviously you're in a situation where people don't get along or they, they wouldn't be in the situation they're in. And in order to close a transaction, um, if two people own the property, we will cut a check to each one for half. Well, that's maybe not what they're anticipating or there's issues. So if we can't get that issue resolved, that makes it difficult to close. And the other big issue is dower. And we could talk for a long time about the problems of dower. Dower is not known to most people, but it affects every real estate transaction where a husband and wife uh, are selling or buying property. In in 30 seconds, define dower to me. A dower started in England as the common law. It's now statutory in Ohio. And it says even if one person owns property in their name alone, if they are married, their spouse has a dower interest in the property which requires them to be involved in the transaction to the point that the wife would have to sign to release her dower before the husband, even though he owns it by himself, could transfer title to a buyer. And if a buyer is involved in the transaction and they're married and they're buying the property in their name, they're not going to close without their spouse signing the mortgage to release dower. And unfortunately, we've seen some ugly situations where the other spouses use that as leverage for certain things. Um, just be aware of that. And if that's a situation, I always have this conversation with my buyers and sellers when it comes to that. Um, going into the last segment, I do want to remind you that everything we're talking about, everything about the Paul George Group can be found on my website at thepaulgeorgegroup.com or halfthebeatles.com. It's a lot easier to remember at halfthebeatles.com. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more and give you the tip of the week. Navigating the complexities of the current real estate market can be a daunting task. Fortunately, you have a trusted ally, the Paul George Group of Keller Williams Greater Columbus Realty. From the moment you start your journey, the Paul George Group with over 30 years of experience will be right beside you, guiding you through every step of the process, whether it's finding the perfect home or building, skillfully negotiating on your behalf, working with lenders, managing inspections, or handling title matters, their expertise in ensures your best interests are always at heart. Don't hesitate to take the first step towards your real estate goals. Reach out to the Paul George Group for a no-obligation consultation. Call 
614-570-2853. That's 614-570-2853. Or email paul at paulgeorgerealestate.com. When it comes to making informed decisions in the real estate world, trust the Paul George Group to lead the way. Submit your questions for the show to paul at paulgeorgerealestate.com. That's paul at paulgeorgerealestate.com. Now back to your host, Paul George. Welcome back to the Paul George Real Estate Show. And again, I'm here with uh, Joe and Aaron Baroni of Talent Title and longtime real estate attorneys, too. Um, guys, at my last segment, I always try to give a tip of the week. And my tip of the week starts with something that is big within our industry and people don't know about it until it affects them one way or the other. Um, one of the things that I see plastered everywhere when we do a closing, we try to warn people about wire fraud. And wire fraud, you know, people hear that and say, yeah, that doesn't affect me. But how about when you're getting your $100,000 worth of equity wired to your bank account? Um, when uh, nefarious people see real estate transactions, they will start digging. And when they start digging, they dig into title companies. They dig into real estate agents. They dig into um, lenders. And they are very crafty at making things look like they come from somebody else, meaning that it's not uncommon for um, you list your house for sale on through a realtor. Somebody can see this in some other country saying that, uh, hey, I saw your house on Zillow. So they start digging into the transaction. They see who it's listed with and things like that. Um, they have the ability to go and mimic my email or they have the ability to mimic a title company's email and say, hey, where do you want your proceeds going to? And as much as we try to tell people that, Hey, listen to us verbally tell you what our email address is. Listen to us verbally how to wire funds, uh, where you want fire funds wired to. Always verify, verify, verify. Um, Aaron, why don't you tell me, I know this is a big thing within our industry. Why don't you tell me some good safeguards that people can do when it comes to wiring money, whether it's for real estate or anything? Yeah, I think. In our industry, you have to look at it two sides of this, sellers and buyers. So if you're a seller, you're going to be telling the title company where you want your funds to go. Um, so at least our practice is the seller is going to fill out wiring instructions in front of one of our notaries. We're not going to accept that by email, phone call, because we have no way to verify that that's our seller. So that's pretty straightforward. I think most of the fraud in the industry is on the buyer side. Um, because like you said, if someone hacks and gets into an email and pretends to be a title company lender or realtor, they're going to tell that buyer that, you know, send this money now, it's urgent, and they put pressure on that buyer. And unfortunately, some buyers will listen to that email, go to the bank and send the money before they've even verified it. Um, so the number one thing I would say really to protect buyers is they need to double, triple check with their lenders, with their trusted um, realtors and title companies where and how to wire that money. I mean, I had a gentleman last week. He he didn't want to deal with any emails. He came in. He said, "I want to. I want you to hand me the wiring instructions because I don't trust email." And speaking of that, you guys and I think it's. I don't know if it's just you or everybody. Aren't you required to wire funds now if it's over a certain amount? So Ohio has a good funds law. So anything over ten thousand dollars has to be wired. So. When you take a step back, that's most of our transactions. And that's why it's so attractive to, like I said, people who we wouldn't trust anyway. So it's worthwhile for them to go through the work to get this done. So you just need to be aware of any time you're wiring funds. As much as we try to pound that into people, people don't always listen to this show. They don't always listen to the news. They It may be their first time, and they may not think any different of it. But if you or a loved one, especially an older parent or somebody, are asked to wire money, make sure you watch over them um, and make sure they're doing it on the up and up. Like you said, double, triple check how you're going to do that. Um, since we're in the real estate in industry um, and you guys handle 
monies and distribute monies and try to count up monies where they go to. One of your requirements is to prorate things because of there may be things that um, are not required at the moment, but they will be in the future. And I bring this up because, again, we are in a tax property tax reappraisal situation, meaning that the property taxes that we have on a property right now may not be the same as what they will be next year um, or, excuse me, this year because we pay taxes in arrears here this year. One of your jobs is to prorate taxes based on what you know according to our contract and what you know is the current tax bill. Let me ask you guys, how do you, we're getting into that funky time of year where tax bills in Franklin County, Delaware County, they're not going to come out until probably December. And if somebody's buying a property that, like if I sold a property right now, it may not close until November, maybe even December. And you guys are basing taxes based on 2022 taxes. We know taxes are going to be different in 2023. What are your requirements and if I know, like, let's say um, I'm selling a property in Franklin County and Columbus City Schools, and they have a they have a school levy on, we don't know if that's going to pass or not. We don't know if it's going to pass later. Is there anything we can do to kind of protect our buyers from being assessed a tax more than the credit that they're getting at closing? Now, that was very convoluted, and I'm hoping one of you guys can – you know, make it a little clearer as well as some things that we might be able to do to protect our buyers that way. So I think to summarize, we all know our taxes are going up because of the reappraisals and tax levies. Um, but to bring it to what happens at closing, our contract says we have to use the most current tax bill, which will be outdated for anybody that closes from now to the end of the year. Um, you know, to protect a buyer, you can do what's called a tax letter or put language in the contract where a seller agrees uh, to redo the proration once that bill comes out to make it quote-unquote fair. The problem is, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's still probably a seller's market, and if a seller has two offers, uh, they might not want to agree to pay more money later. Um, but as a title company, you know, we're using that old tax bill per se until it changes. Um, so we're bound by the contract and can't reprorate or change it unless it's negotiated in the contract. I know one of the things you guys hate to do is hold money in escrow for people. Is that a possibility though, that we don't know what the tax bill is going to be and the seller agrees to put $2,000 in there or something like that? Is that a possibility? There's anything a possibility sure, if you can the, negotiate it. Sure. If the, um, if the parties, if, if the buyer's agent, uh, wants to negotiate if they're in a position where they can negotiate uh, we can escrow and the buyer can in the contract say uh, you know they'll get the the tax proration based on the contract which says as Aaron said it's going to be based on the certified tax bill that will be outdated by the time the taxes come out so um, we've seen buyers agents state that uh, they'll they'll calculate them based on the contract uh, but then we'll do a proration based on price. You can go online with the auditor, uh, and the auditor has an estimator where you can put in the price of the house, and they will tell you what the taxes may be. They won't guarantee it. But once you know that, then you can negotiate and say, if the tax proration given at closing proves to be inaccurate, uh, the parties agree to readjust after the closing, which Aaron says is a hard sell sometimes. Or you can say that uh, the the uh, Seller and buyer agree that X number of dollars will be held in escrow until the applicable tax bills are actually mailed and uh, adjustments will be made accordingly. So you can go two ways on that. We would recommend the escrow because it's e easier if the money's held rather than having to chase a seller for an yep. adjustment. With that, I want to make sure that um, anything we talk about just needs to be in writing. If we can get both degree, we can make that a part of the contract. And like you said, it's if we can get both to agree. So, you know, I've got, again, another 50 questions here for you guys, but we only got a couple minutes left and I'd be upset with myself if I didn't ask you a couple of questions about actual closings. Uh, Joe, since you've been doing this for a little while, um, can you remember the most 
interesting, contentious. Give me the worst, best, worst, and the best closing you've ever had. Well, the, the worst, um, and I always use it as an example. It, it, there are a lot of issues that uh, uh, impact closings based on dower, uh, because dower includes situations uh, that involve divorce, involve you know if you if you inherit property, what people have to understand if one person owns real estate regardless of how they got title to the property, if they owned it before they got married, if they inherited it after they were married, if they are married, any property in their name, dower attaches to it. Uh, and some people have a hard time dealing with that. So the, 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 the worst I had was a closing where uh, we have uh, divorce attorneys who don't quite understand dower. I don't quite understand what they do. <laughs> And so, and, and you've got thirty seconds to okay. figure this out. So well, cut so, to the chase. So the divorce attorney told the wife, "Don't worry, we've got everything set up. We don't need your husband, your soon-to-be ex-husband." So when she got that advice from her lawyer, she went out in the garage, took a hammer to his Harley Davidson motorcycle because she didn't need uh, him anymore. And we had to explain that Dower is still there, and she would need a signature on the deed. Whoops. That was an ugly one. That was a big whoops. Yeah, right? was a big whoops. And like I said, I'm sure you've got a million stories like yeah. that, and that's what we'll talk about after on a beer sometime. So <laughs> anyway, I um, appreciate you guys coming in. Aaron, tell me how people can get a hold of you if they have real estate questions as well as they need title service. Um, phone number 614-273-0421 or abaroni at talentitle.net. And then Joe Baroni's the same, jbaroni at talentitle.net. So if you ever need anything, just let us know. All right. Next week, we're going to talk about Heckam loans and how that's going to affect people that are 62 or older, like me. Talk to you soon. This has been the Paul George Real Estate Show with your host, Paul George. Sponsored by the Paul George Real Estate Group. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and not necessarily those of Salem Media Group, staff, management, or advertisers. Tune in next week for an all-new episode of the Paul George Real Estate Show. And follow Paul online at paulgeorgerealestate.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.